This episode is brought to you by the Chronicle Protocol, a cost-efficient, transparent, and decentralized oracle. Chronicle has developed a next-generation oracle primitive called Scribe, which reduces oracle gas fees on L1s and L2s by over 60%. You'll hear more about Chronicle later in the show. Hey everyone, before we get into today's episode, I want to take a second to acknowledge Vouch. With over 4,000 startups insured, from napkin sketch ideas to large IPOs, Vouch is the insurer of choice for crypto companies, including L1s, L2s, DAOs, protocols, and a whole lot more. Their exclusive coverages are enhanced for crypto, covering everything from regulatory defense to smart contract vulnerabilities. With Vouch, you're not just insuring your startup, you're investing in peace of mind so you can keep on building. You'll hear more about Vouch later in the show. All right, everyone. We missed you last week. Santi and I were both at Permissionless. Uh, my, my voice is slightly recovered, but I'm, I'm running on like 30%. It feels like uh, half the people I know got like bronchitis, laryngitis, some sort of COVID between between Permissionless and Token 2049. And uh, there was some event in Germany as well. I feel like half the industry is hurting right now. So, I mean, it's always true that like uh, the market does puke every time there's big conferences. The market just will do some big movement. It's always we, been the we case. Consensus. We did that. We gave people sell off. We get we get we'll see, I mean, tokens. We'll see what's going on. Mainnet is going happening, I guess, uh, next week. Uh, one thing we'll say: the reason why we mi- we usually are not here to blame, but the reason why we missed the podcast is I had to catch a flight, and we went to the booth, the Kraken booth, nice little kind of like aquarium, and it was occupied by the gentleman of of Bankless. You know, Ryan uh, was there, and so you know we we play nice, and so we said, hey, look, you know, just you know record and whatnot, and we we can do it. So, uh, anyways, here we are. So, so Santi never preps for any of these episodes, and I forced <laughs> Santi. I said, "You're off the show if you don't do some damn research." So uh, he DM me at 11 p.m. last night. Said, "You have to like do your work." I'm like, "Is <laughs> you this a prep? Are you telling? Is this a subtle way of telling me that I've like just I'm, I suck at this?" And you know, honestly, Look, maybe maybe two, it's true. Two, if there's one takeaway from permissionless, two years in the bear market, you, you just got to work harder, man. You just got to work harder. That's the way to get through this. So, <laughs> okay. Um, here's what I asked. Here, so, here's what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to um, uh, talk about just takeaways from the conference. I think it was a kind of classic bear market conference in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be very curious to hear your. I know you weren't able to make it last year. I'm no. not sure. I, I'm not sure if you've been to our other conferences, Digital Asset Summit, kind of our other buttoned up, you know, conference brand. But I think this might have been the first Blockworks event you've. Mm-hmm. Yeah you've ever attended so i'd just be curious maybe we can go like takeaway for takeaway you share takeaway i'll mm-hmm. share takeaway yeah, yeah. I'd just be curious to hear uh overarching thoughts on on the event and maybe get into mm-hmm. your first takeaway well before I, before we do that i just want to put out it on the record that um for for history yes i have not attended a blockworks sponsored event not only that but the reason why we're here is because i got rejected first time by these two gentlemen mike and uh, Yano, when I suggested to them that we should do a DeFi podcast while I was a Parify, and DeFi was not even a thing. Uh, and that was right before DeFi summer. So I got rejected. And the best way to get my attention is to reject me. So uh, it, t- it took the second chance. Uh, and and then finally we did. We actually started the podcast when DeFi was like ended, and it's been. I a do remember this. It was market. like January 2020, and you're like, we totally, we totally, totally missed the opportunity to do a great <laughs> podcast. Candidly, it would have yeah. been difficult because I was so busy uh, while it's at, at Parify. Uh, but anyways, uh, one of the and I'll start with I guess my first observation is if you were to kind of take a sample size of the conversations that were happening on these kind of either during panels or inside conversations in events that we were at 
with fund managers, with investors, uh, just people in the industry and builders is it feels like there is renewed interest in DeFi, not all pockets of DeFi, but the key he- word here is real world assets. It was something that was discussed heavily in the conference. Um, not everyone agrees that it's going to be a category, but you know, I was in the panel of who's still investing in crypto, which was admittedly could have been a very short panel because no one is investing in crypto these days, uh, which is another takeaway of mine that I'll get to later. But I think real world assets was one of probably the main topics of conversation. Uh, whether you believe that to be real or not, um, I think it's uh, it was one of the things that uh, throughout the conference was buzzing. Hmm. You know, like like in East, uh, East Paris, it was like, you know, layer twos, L2, roll-ups, zero knowledge yeah, proofs, yeah. like roll ups. This theme, thematic, one of the big themes was real world assets. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Um, I would agree and disagree. So uh, do you remember? I don't know if you caught Chow. Oh, you were on with Chow. Um, oh, yeah, I was on with Chow. Yeah, yeah. So you're one. Of, I think one of the best panels was you and Chow, uh, Vance. Who's the fourth? Kyle Samani. Kyle. I thought, I thought Kyle. Tom did a great job moderating that. Yeah, but Chow Kyle said this thing. He says, uh, he said the real world asset is a fake narrative. And I'd be curious what you thought of uh, if, if you remember when he said that. Yeah, I, I think his point was: look, stablecoins are real world assets. Like USDC is a real world asset. And I think his point was more nuanced around. The way we characterize and describe real world assets is a catch all phrase. And so we ought to be a little bit more discerning when it comes to talking about real world assets, which is what exactly we're talking about here, because it is a catch all category. And I think his point was we ought to be a little bit more discerning. And part of the conversation, I mean, it was a 40 minute panel, but we, we could have gone on another panel separately, just purely talking about the different classifications and buckets of real world assets that we think are going to get more traction and some that will not. Um, and the second observation was, particularly talking about like use cases, was um, kind of certain real world assets lend themselves more to gaining traction on chain than others that just will not and yep. just probably deserve not to even have a crypto native appli- like like wrapper to it, if you will. Yeah. So to this takeaway, I would say I agree. I think one of the clear takeaways from this event is that the two main ways that you kind of import yield into crypto today are, I think Maker actually does a pretty good job of importing yield. Um, Mm -hmm. It kind of is a tedious process. You have to do, you know, uh, like the Steakhouse team does a lot of work there. They kind of, you have to value off-chain assets, but they do a good job of importing some of this higher yield Mm on-chain. And then stable coins import yield on-chain. And I think one takeaway that I had from this conference is... uh, in the coming year or years, we're going to find and develop more ways to import yield on chain. Mm. And actually, mm. I forget if Leshner said this on stage, but he said this to me off stage. He said, I really hate this idea of real world assets because what you're actually saying when you say the word real world is you're saying that on chain is not the real world. It's not, it's not, implicitly it's not they're, they're not real assets. Right. So there right. are traditional right. assets and there are crypto assets, or there are off-chain assets, and there are on-chain. But the, I think mm-hmm. this idea of real-world assets is, um, yeah. I, I don't know. We, I like all, it. we always get the nomenclature wrong in crypto, right? It's we always like get it terrible wrong. It never changes, by the way. You can never change a, a, a term once it's, uh, once it's like, declared. We did crypto, then then crypt, like blockchain, not 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 crypto, and you know, Web like three. equity, not tokens, and then Web three, and like, anyways, uh, you know, we do certain things very well as an industry, but nomenclature is not one of them. Yeah. All right. So takeaway, your takeaway number one is real world assets are yeah. coming more ways to import yield on chain. Yes. And do you think that this is? Remember in 2018, it's like very tokenized real estate. 2019, mm-hmm. like token. Do you? Uh, 
Look, I mean, the, I, I know you want to get to your takeaway, but maybe I'll cheat. And this is a big takeaway, a second takeaway of mine. Yeah, give me is, number two. It is, it is very common in bear markets to be skeptical of things that have been tried before. Uh, meaning, in this case, Harbor. Like, Harbor was a tokenization platform. It I remember Harbor. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of like crypto, like OGs, like, or even like in the prior cycle, remember Harbor. It was super hyped. There was a lot of interest and it didn't get traction. It didn't uh, fulfill its promise. But it's very common. Like, it's not to say that like things, and this happened on the internet, right? Like, pets.com failed. And then you saw like, you know, the same model with a different kind of different infrastructure that allowed for that. It was a good idea. It was just like, it was the right time. It was too early. The, the infrastructure was not there. And I think that's the state where crypto is today. It is very, yeah. and, and you see a lot of skepticism within crypto around these ideas. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just important to be mindful of things that have been tried in the past, revisit some of those with, because the infrastructure has come a long way. And so yep. that, that, that's like my takeaway number two, right? You would have, as you, as, as you, as happened now, real world assets are quite polarizing. Tokenization of these things is very polarizing because it failed before. And so it's just mindful to be, yeah. we have to be mindful of that. So that's um uh, that was my one one of my takeaways. I'll I'll jump into the front is that the nice. most bullish people in this market seem to be actually some of the traditional capital market players. Um and not just you stole my thunder too. That was yeah, my third. Just had, yeah, yeah, that's your third? Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. So I mean it's tied into that one though. It's it's not just the capital markets players, but it's I mean uh, a, a very overlooked announcement I will say was Layer, layer 0 took the stage with Google, right? Google yeah. put on some heavy hitters onto the main stage, right? They were the last panel on the main stage. Um, mm -hmm. And I think you're seeing like, right, Layer Zero's partnership with Google. Uh, this is around the Oracle, right? Uh, solution. Yeah, or exactly. Recent yeah. development. Which, which a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, Link Marines came out saying like, this is, this is counter crypto decentralization, like yada, yada. But, but yeah, it was, yeah. Which I get, and I think uh, Uma, the Uma founder, Hart. Uh, Hart, yeah. Pushback on that as well, like, and which yeah. I totally get. I think that's a fair pushback. Um, but there's like legitimate big players coming in. Um, mm -hmm. PayPal, P, what is it? PYUSD stablecoin, yeah. uh, Visa's expansion into stablecoin settlement on Solana, mm -hmm. uh, BlackRock ETF developments that were talked about. Yes. Uh, there were some, uh, right? Franklin Templeton spoke there. Uh, there. There were some really big asset managers that sent like. Mm -hmm. 10 people there they didn't speak yeah. they wouldn't speak they wouldn't They're let us say that there. they were there but they were they if you were at no, the not only investors but there were also builders right and, and it was interesting i mean right before permissionless we had tyron from jp morgan was on the podcast uh, and it was very illuminating to hear i mean for, when i was at jp morgan you, you couldn't even whisper crypto uh in the elevator you would have been you know like jamie was calling on the rat poison and whatnot camp but it was very interesting. People go, should go listen to that podcast. And even he was, he was at the conference. It was great to catch up with him. We, I mean, we could have done uh, two or three more episodes to cover the different kind of components of what JP Morgan is building. Um, it is a bit frustrating because a lot of that, because of lack of privacy, they cannot operate in a kind of open environment like Ethereum. Um, but it was quite illuminating to hear him and his, the interest, particularly in this market conditions, of how much buy-in there is within the organization, how much interest there is. And yep. that's not just JP Morgan. I think you and I were talking about that. There, are, there were so many other, not just investors, family offices, endowments that were there. Because I, I think like an event like Permissionless, really the composition of the crowd, and I said it before, is one of the reasons why I wanted to go. Because I think it's it's more diverse. It's not super like crypto native, purely. Um, 
but there were a lot of corporations that were there and have been doing work for like six years. And, and the question was, hey, does Terra, the regulatory environment, like Luna, all these blow ups, like does that like has that been more of an uphill battle internally to convince, you know, management that this is something that is worthwhile? And they're like, you know, on the margin, um, you know, some like JP Morgan, like, yeah, like allocators have certainly like interest has waned, but but we're still moving along. I mean, th- there's we've done the work. We appreciate the opportunity. It's going to be big one day. And and we cannot wait for that day to come because we need to be thinking about we need to be thinking ahead to gain an edge on our competitors. Yep. And that's true for PayPal, that's Stripe, JP Morgan, so many others that I think were at the event that you and I and others met with that it was really interesting to see. Yeah. All right. So we have takeaway number one. Yeah. We're figuring out more ways to import yield on chain. Mm-hmm. Takeaway number two. What was your second takeaway? Well, my second takeaway was, uh, um, what was that? Particularly amongst crypto investors, I think there is a cohort that is now thinking about ideas that have been tried in prior cycles and appreciate yep. that there's more infrastructure. Um, there's and we ought to revisit some of those. Like you know, in the panel, we you know we had Vance from Kyle, myself. We're all actively investing. Shao from DeFi Alliance, and and we all were of in agreement when we said, yeah, like this time is different in the sense that infrastructure has come a, a long way since 2018 that we ought to revisit certain use cases like real yeah. world assets. So that was my second takeaway number two. Takeaway number three, I would say the industry is gaining legitimacy even in pretty crappy markets. Um, and there, there are a lot more like web two and specifically capital markets players there that are at more actively participating than you could ever imagine. So that's number three. Mm-hmm. Number four, so those, maybe maybe I'll throw a spicier one in here and I'll, I'll, I'll okay. try to uh, maybe get you to push back a little. We haven't been I, spicy enough? Not, not <laughs> enough, my friend, not okay. enough. Okay, um, all right. So when you pull up crypto Twitter, the uh, I think crypto ter- uh, crypto Twitter narrative always, has always had this kind of Ethereum tilt to it, and no no wonder why it's it's you know obviously the biggest smart contract L1. Um, it did feel like these kind of worlds of L1s are converging, and if it, it felt like if you listen to folks on stage, whether it's Ben from Optimism or um, you know, Stephen from Arbitrum, Ethan Buckman from Cosmos, right? We had, a, uh, you know, Anatoly from Solana. It feels mm-hmm. like a lot of the issues that, say, Solana's deal, dealing with, they're peeking over at other chains to see how they're solving it. It seems yeah, like the issues that, you know, Optimism is about to start facing, right? Those are kind of the classic Cosmos issues. Value capture yes. on the OP token, coordinating upgrades, interoperability between things built on optimism. Those are things Cosmos has been trying to figure out for years, right? Uh, soon, once they figure that out, they're going to be forced to contend with kind of the classic Solana problem, right? Low latency, like high throughput, mm-hmm. things like that. And it feels like these blockchains are like converging both in goals. App chain thesis used to be a Cosmos thing. Now it's an Ethereum thing as well. Converging in goals, but also in problems that they're trying to contend with. And it makes me wonder if the future is multi, if the future is multi-chain, or if just the these folks are all just learning from each other, and 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 one L one will will win out against the other. Um, the mm-hmm. the other thing here was like, I don't know, uh, Monad. Some f- folks were talking about Monad, right? Paralyzing the uh, parallelizing the mm-hmm. EVM, uh, the launch of rollups like Eclipse, right? Using the SVM, yep. um, the innovation still is not done on this front i would say and so there's still even though it feels like there are too many l2s too many you know kind of all l1s like there's still a ton of innovation going on in this front so yeah 
Yeah, I certainly agree. Look, I mean, I think uh, crypto Twitter can be quite toxic, especially when people are losing money. Um, people fight and like the, the level of negativity and social media goes up, I think, during these environments. But also, I think the folks that remain here and are still building, it also brings you together in some capacity, which I think dovetails to what you just said, which is there's a, even for the conference, I think there's more scrutiny and open dialogue within the Ethereum community around raising awareness around, hey, optimism doesn't have crowd proofs. Let's yeah. talk about that. How is that any different than Solana? We criticize Solana for some things, but is it more secure or less secure? You don't have crowd proofs. You know, that's a bigger issue. Yeah. And so I think, yeah. I think, I think the, the intellectual honesty within the Ethereum community, I've sensed it as of recently has shifted, tilted towards, you know, the better and openly having these discussions around value capture. You know, I think you look to other chains that have struggled out. So, so I think there's sort of like a two worlds, if you will, on one end, crypto Twitter is quite toxic. People are, are, are waiting for, you know, are, are losing patience. There's despair. People lose money. But also there's there's also kind of a collective like, hey, we're all in this together. We're kind of suffering a bit. Uh, hmm. It feels like you know, nothing's going on. But, but there's a lot of building in the background. And I think builders really are probably coming together more in this environment, like bunkering down um, and trying to learn from each other to, to kind of weather the storm. Um, and so that's that's really good. I, I think that's quite productive. Um, yeah. Another, um, can I, I'll, let me add one more takeaway yeah, that's kind of related it. to this one, which was takeaway number two, is that... um it felt like people are kind of getting frustrated with some of Ethereum's, the the complexity of Ethereum, I would call it, and looking over folks in Ethereum, kind of looking over their shoulder at other ecosystems saying, I love the simplicity of that. Um, mm. And I think that Ethereum's got a crazy lead and a stupid amount of momentum right now. And all the stuff with L2s, like Arbitrum, Optimism, I have a takeaway related to just scroll itself um, mm. that, that I want to talk about at the end. But I don't know. I did. I did talk to some folks specifically at the uh, the hackathon, which started two, which was two days before yep. the conference. Um, and I think that they were like, you know, you have four eight four four coming soon, which is kind of this good start, not really a complete solution. There's going to be two markets, is the way I understand it now. There's going to be like a block space market and a blob mm -hmm. space market. And I think some of these developers, specifically that I spoke with, are kind of like, man, this is a this is a comp complex landscape to uh, to navigate if you're trying to build here. Yeah. So I wasn't at the hackathon, but so I can't really comment on that. But yeah, I mean, it's still uh, certainly solidity and there's been, you know, tools out there that have made uh, it easier for developers over time to to start coding and yeah. get familiarized with, with these code bases, like even integrations like C++ and all these things like tooling has improved quite a bit, but it's still challenging, right? Yeah. Um, I guess uh, so I had dinner the first or second night there with uh, some larger funds and a fund of funds. Uh, probably one of the largest, if not the largest in crypto that I've built a big relationship with over the years. Who, who um, is it? Can you name? Who are, I don't no, know how many. I'd rather are. not. I'd yeah, rather yeah. not. Uh, but nonetheless, you need to know, what matters here is LP interest is dead. Yeah. Like crickets. No new money has been raised. Um, and I think it is... And asking him, hey, is it more idiosyncratic? Is it like just crypto related? And he's like, no, just generally people are hurting. Hmm. You know, it's not it's not just crypto. It's it's venture. It's hedge funds. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's a very challenging environment. Um, so I said, hey, where do you like? At what point do you think that changes? 
of course, then you t- start talking about, he asked me, well, what's your view on macro and interest rates? And I said, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, yeah, no one, you know, you know, I don't, I don't know, best guess. So yeah, I, I think, and so I asked him the question, okay, when, when you go and talk to like a CalPERS, like a big pension fund, oh, at one point between now and five years, you ought to believe there will come a time where there's more appetite to go farther on the risk spectrum. Maybe yields come down and then people naturally go and, and chase yield in, in farther out in the risk spectrum. Given the choice of investing in traditional tech, traditional venture, or crypto venture, where are those dollars on a relative basis going to go? Do you think it's going to be less or more than prior cycles? That was my question to him. I, I obviously have bias. And, and, and the exhibit A to this question is look at historical returns of venture funds. And they're terrible. Is this know? a fund to fund in crypto, a large crypto yeah, fund? Yeah, in crypto. Fund? Okay. In crypto. And, and also outside. They, like they start, they were one of the earliest fund to funds in venture, like in the 90s. Oh, I know who you're talking oh, yeah, about. Yeah, and they were early as well in, in crypto. So they have a lot of visibility and historical context to answer the question. And so, I, I, you know, when you look at like the Cambridge data around vintage returns for venture as an asset class, they're terrible. They've come down a lot. The last vintage funds, like 2007, 2005, 2008, uh, or 2000, I guess, 10-year funds, so like 2010 plus, anything that raised after 2010 is super challenged. Yeah. Like, like, especially DPI, like for, forget about DPI, just like MOM is t- like terrible. And look, I think hedge funds have gone through this as well. Like there's an overwhelming amount of data that like mutual funds just put it on an index fund and why pay a hedge fund 220? I still think crypto is a very like nascent asset class and the return possibility um, of venture within crypto will be more attractive purely because it's just a more emerging asset class with more opportunity um than traditional venture and, and more of the money is going to the larger funds like super large venture funds i think still you know raise money why because you never get fired putting money with the larger guys but new managers are really struggling um mm. but yeah you know i think i think just to wrap up this point it's uh no surprise i guess but there's no money <laughs> no money coming into crypto but who's a marginal buyer i think you see these retail kind of within crypto movement of funds into the latest fad and trend but new money coming in is i think you you need a probably bigger catalyst around an etf uh rates come down yep um just more of that and you know i guess the last comment i don't mean to be negative as i think about how i invest i think it's the best time because if you have the money valuations are low and this is the time where you invest if you have conviction and the best builders, you know, anecdotally, I've had three companies recently shut down. Three of those founders are still in crypto, are building something new. And to me, that's encouraging because smart people are still in the industry, still believe they have learned a lot over the last, you know, six years and the craziness of was DeFi summer. And they're like, hey, we've learned a lot from this. We shut down, but we're, but we're pivoting and, and we have this better idea. And with better execution, we know more people. And that's great. And the valuation is like a, a, a one-tenth of what it was. And I think, you know, I just look at that. And this is this is the time. You ought to just be patient, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Give me another takeaway. Um, 
Well, you stole my thunder around there is more skepticism <laughs> within crypto than outside of it. And my point there was like there's a lot of building happening from legacy players like the JP Morgan stripes of the world. So so that I'll just kind of gloss over that, I guess. Um, um, one of the observations, like I, I don't have context on permissions last year. Fortunately, I got rugged by airlines and, and, and got stuck in New York. Um, I didn't feel like a bear market conference. It, it and it just because I remember what a bear market conference. Like. <laughs> yeah, true. There was no one, no yeah. one there. I went to the first Binance conference in Singapore. Kyle was there. Um, I remember because he had a big thesis on BNB. Kane yeah. was there. <sighs> Man, you could have walked on up to CZ and had a normal conversation with him for like twenty minutes, and no one would have approached him. Uh, today's environment, he's like a celebrity of sorts. Um, you know, and so not only on sheer attendance and diversity of crowd, but also on the level of excitement. And we've talked about here that I don't believe there's existential risk. Now, now we're discussing what are the use cases of this technology and which type of, now we're entering that discussion around things are being used and we're being critical of the things that are being used and, and the implementations of said ideas versus before it was just, you didn't have anything to hold on to. And so I, I think it's very different. It didn't feel like a, a bear market conference to me. Um, of course, of course, the, the sentiment is not raging bull, but it's not not the bear market that I'm used to seeing. And certainly was not what I saw in 20, I guess, 19, 20. Um, those were those were difficult. <laughs> they were both great and very difficult in terms of morale. Um, so yeah, that was uh, I guess a subtle observation. I don't know if you'd agree with that. You you're, you've been doing conferences for so many years. Yeah, I mean, you know, just because last year was such an insane event for us with permissionless, this one felt a little more like a bear market conference, but still like thousands of attendees. I mean, very different than like 2019. Yeah, I'll give you that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think just the, the amount the of venue, like, candidly, the venue didn't help. I think the venue was very big. The venue is too so big. You, one of the biggest venues you, in the U.S., right? The Austin right. City so Convention you felt, Center. Like it, you felt that it was not, there. You didn't see the concentration, right? Where you go to ECC Paris, it is jam packed because the the venue yeah. is small, and so it was like it's just sort of a, the venue did like not do us any favors. That in. Yeah, I mean, you yeah, could yeah. walk like ten minutes to get to the culture track. You know, it was uh, did not do us any favors. I mean, it was that. it was a stadium. I, I do think though, like. If you're lo if you're looking at like the conversations you had and only basing it off that, it was a very like low amount of shilling, highly technical, non-party atmosphere, which um, mm -hmm. which was really nice. Yeah, I know it's refreshing. Look, every time I've gone to conferences in the raging bull market, it's like the, the scene of the big short. You want to you, yeah, you yeah. come out of there, you're like short it all, absolutely short it all. And this is why I don't go to conferences anymore yeah. because it's, it's quite tempting. Um, but it was great to catch up with, with folks, and, and uh, yeah. you know, I think a lot of a lot of the people that you would have thought that are here for the right reasons are still there and still going. I think there's a certainly like more like people. There's like a there's gravity. There's like people people have sobered up a bit, and there is a sense of skepticism for sure. But I think there's there's optimism more within builders, um, less with investors, um, and. And so, um, yeah, you know, I think it's, uh, and, and even like, uh, students, uh, I met a few students from like university of Austin and law and whatnot. And, um, and it felt like they were, you know, they're still very excited about this. Like yeah. young people are still captivated by this and, and want to learn about it and take the time to, to go to the conference and even send their parents. So it, it's great. I mean, it's, uh, I think it's, it's, those and, uh, are the things that are, are enduring 
and pro, to me, signals and leading indicators of kind of um, of where we're going. Yeah. I have another takeaway that I didn't yeah. know at all about before Permissionless and specifically oh, yeah. before the hackathon. I think I actually learned, learned a lot. It was our first hackathon we'd ever done. We had 300 developers come and you had protocols like Scroll. It was really interesting. Mm -hmm. So Scroll, ZK Sync, Fireblocks, Ernst & Young, EY, a lot of other great teams basically sponsored it and then they gave bounties. It was really cool to see what people, we had five different teams at the hackathon pulled all-nighters, built some awesome stuff, Gitcoin. Um, I'm sure there's some others I'm forgetting there. Um, the So we talk about basically infrastructure versus consumer apps. And we're, everyone says we're building too much infrastructure, not enough consumer apps. The other thing that's missing, developer tooling, which I never, mm -hmm. I never think about. So in developer yeah. tooling in... Web 2, if you want to deploy a website, you want to deploy, I don't know, a login, a checkout flow, anything like that, super easy to just basically deploy some components. You, you can actually just pull up React, basically, pull mm -hmm. a drop down, type in what you're building, social network. It'll almost like autofill the different components in React for you. None of that exists in crypto. So in Web 2, when you want to build an app, you can actually almost like auto-populate and autofill a lot of the things. As an mm -hmm. engineer in Web 3, in crypto, you are starting from zero every single time. So you can fork can, something. Can, can like something like chat GPT like help you just code in Solidity? Uh, it can. Yeah, it can. Um, it's not good enough. So GitHub okay. Copilot is getting better. Um, there, are a couple, there are a couple tools like that. Like GitHub Copilot is okay. pretty good. Um, I built, if you know the game Pong, like where, uh -huh. you know, I don't I don't know how to build. Um, I can like build a website, like a little HTML, CSS, but like I can't build something that like Pong. And I right, used yeah, only yeah. uh, ChatGPT to build Pong. So you right, can do yeah. little things like that. But yeah, these developer tools, these the, a lot of the developers were just saying like, look, if you could build anything in the world to get more developers to come into the industry, we need better developer tools. So yeah, it just got me thinking about from an allocate, like from investing, it might be interesting for you. Like if you see any good developer tools. Oh, tool, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a the decentralized Git GitHub. Uh, what is it? Air. But nobody needs the decentralized GitHub. What you need no, is like, arguably. I mean, you, I mean, you could from a kind of like redundancy standpoint. But no, I, I what I'm saying here is there's an opportunity to build more tooling for sure. But this yeah, is you need like a Vercel, like Vercel, Vercel raised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At I think a two and a half or three billion dollar valuation, everyone's using Vercel, and that's just a better mm -hmm. developer tool. You know, we use Vercel. This episode is brought to you by Chronicle Protocol, the best on-chain source for cost-efficient, verifiable data. For anyone who listens to Empire a lot, you know that we talk a lot about MakerDAO. Well, Chronicle Protocol is this novel Oracle solution that has exclusively secured over 10 billion in assets for Maker and its ecosystem since 2017. And for the first time ever, super excited to share here that Chronicle's Oracle service is now publicly available for anyone to use. Compared to using other Oracle services, Chronicle offers a 60% reduction in gas fees. They have an unparalleled level of transparency at Chronicle. They offer a dashboard that allows anyone to track the genesis and trajectory of the data it provides, marking this milestone in on-chain data availability. Chronicle is endorsed by a network of the most revered validators, including Etherscan, Infura, Gitcoin, DYDX, and MakerDAO. It is time for a paradigm shift in Oracle development, a future where 
data is verifiable, operational costs are contained, and the possibilities are immense. You can learn more about Chronicle at chroniclelabs.org. That is chroniclelabs.org. All right, everyone, wanted to talk about Vouch again, our favorite insurance provider for crypto companies. If you are building in crypto, you have probably come to realize that contracts need insurance, partners demand insurance, and as a founder myself, trust me when I say you owe it to not only yourself, but your investors and your clients and your customers. And I'm not just talking about any insurance. Their exclusive coverages are tailored specifically for crypto companies that can address issues like protections for regulatory defense, recognizing DAOs as insured, addressing smart contract vulnerabilities, and even covering the loss of digital assets. They're in it with you, whether you're working on L1s, L2s, DAOs, MPC wallet providers, building a protocol, and a lot more. So whether you're just scribbling your next big idea on a napkin or gearing up for a big fundraise or maybe thinking about that IPO or an acquisition, don't leave things to chance. Get insured today with 5% off Vouch's exclusive coverage for Empire listeners using code Empire. Think about it this way. With Vouch, you're not just insuring your startup, you are investing in peace of mind. I have another takeaway. Regulation, right? I, did you catch Tom Emmer's panel? No. Really good. Uh, Kristen Smith, yep. Hester Pierce, Brian okay. Quintez, and Tom Emmer. Um it feels like regulation is just at a, like in a tough place in the U.S. Let me read you some of these quotes. Like Tom Tom Emmer is just for the people by the people. For, like, for context, who's Tom Emmer? Uh, Tom the Emmer is the uh, the whip. Yeah, in the okay. House. Yeah, majority nice. whip of the of the House. Yeah, uh, for people saw House of Cards. That was uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think he's from Minnesota. Anyways, great, great guy. And um, let me just read you some of these quotes. He goes, he goes, as people in the audience, you should be making decisions that are most important to you. Someone asked him about uh, proposals to stop people from holding crypto and digital assets. He goes, that is not an American value. Someone <clears> says, uh, the, the, the moderator says, uh, what's it like being a po- politician? He goes, it sucks. Uh, he goes, you don't have to be pro-crypto, but you do have to be pro-innovation. Um mm-hmm. I don't know. He was like, he was saying pretty like, it, was, it, it, it also followed Eric Voorhees. So he was giving these quotes that were kind of like, you know, do not give up. Do not let them, do not give up the fight. Do not let them win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, Hester Pierce had this quote. Let me just pull it up. It said, the government develops its own interests and has started to forget that it represents the people. We need right. to be ready yeah. to go when the opportunity strikes. Yeah. 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 So. Look, I mean, th- this was something that I, it's not specifically tied to the conference itself, but, um, you know, no surprise. I left San Francisco before things really escalated. Um, I, I, I started noticing it's like the frog in, in boiling water. Um, you know, certainly I'm not American. I, I love America. It's a country that I, where I went to school. I, I, I had the most amount of opportunities, you know, working at JP Morgan, getting a scholarship from JP Morgan. You know, I, I think it's the best country in the world still is to have a fair opportunity that anyone can come there. Education, and, and have opportunities. It's not perfect, but relative to other places, like you have a fairer shot of, of being successful because of the institutions are there because there's a culture of innovation, like in places like Japan, you cannot fail. You fail. It is the worst you can do. You, right. it's a disgrace and dishonor to your family and future generations in America. They celebrate success and failure is okay and accepted. And all of those combinations, like I love that, you know, I, and I, I have so much respect and to anyone that 
disagrees with that, probably has not lived elsewhere and probably hasn't spent enough time in America, in the US. But I will say though, is I left because I just didn't see where my tax dollars were going. And I think a certain amount of policies were very misguided. I think there's amount of like woke culture that is highly destructive in places like San Francisco, this idea of not like, like prosecuting like petty crimes and shoplifting, I think on the surface may seem not as impactful but if you look at like how crime was abolished in New York in the 80s, it was you started with the small things. You started by cleaning up graffiti in the subway. Because if you look at subtle things like that, it's like chaos theories, small things like that can have a profound impact in, in social perception. And you know, all this leads me to say, you know, I I went back to Austin. I hadn't been in Austin in like probably seven years. And I had very fond memories of like my first triathlon there. I had a bunch of friends at the University of, of Austin, Texas. I always felt that Austin was like a high, very pro, you know, like a great place where I could consider living. It felt very different this time. Yeah. It felt eerily like San Francisco in the early days when things started to like um, kind of get out of hand uh, on the homelessness situation, on the shoplifting situation. I don't know. My spidey senses go off because I grew up in Mexico. So like, <laughs> I didn't feel, I just felt like there, it was a bit like, it was a bit of a ghost town downtown. And I asked Kyle, cause he lives there. And I said, is this always been the case? He's like, no, you know, it's like, it's pretty bumping. Like restaurants are full and like, but I just, I, I walked around and, and I was just like looking around and it felt like things were like, it's not what I'm used to seeing. Yeah. And you know, yeah. I don't want to be too opinionated around, you know, where's the U S is that a broader representation of the U S and, you know, I, it was just, um, yeah, it was, I, I thought a lot about that. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, and it was a big takeaway for me and it left me wondering like, what will it take to get back on course, to get back on track? Um, because as we've talked about extensively in this podcast on the topic of regulation is you have to believe in the three prong system. You have to believe in, in the courts. And I, I still very much think that if you look at the interpretation of the court in sort of like the Ripple case, the Grayscale case, the Coinbase case, like it's very encouraging to see that. I think the democracy in the U.S. is very sound, and these checks and balances are there for a reason. And 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 crypto is 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 an example of them working. Yeah. Right. Um, so that gives me a lot of hope. But I do wonder, like you, I mean, you still live there. I, maybe more of a question to you, not to get too philosophical on the topic, but I, I do think about like. It's not just in America that this has been a problem. Like Nordic countries have also gone backwards. I feel like this is a general, like historians are probably going to look back at this phase. It's like, we got a lot of things right. The innovation was like top. Like it was, it was, it was, it was, like, a, it was like a tale of two cities. Like innovation is all time high. Like probably one of the most impactful developments at a technological standpoint across a number of facets, including AI, crypto, um, you know, biotech, like, you know, mRNA vaccines. Like all of that is like hugely impactful. But, the, but also at the same time, like, society is really like like some of our legacy institutions have like really are failing us and but there's also this apathy right amongst like the voter base and there's also this like you can't really be public and vocal and if you're a politician you can't advocate for these things because there's cancel culture and so it, it feels really paralyzed um and so i am really curious as you think about like your experience if you believe that to be a true and and it, more importantly as a voter what do you do? Because like civil participation is, is the bedrock of any democracy. If there's apathy or if there's fear to be vocal about these things, if it, 
I mean, we're quite vocal as an industry, but I also know privately there's a lot of people that are very, there is fear to be very vocal. Uh, fear of repercussion, yeah. fear of being canceled, fear of, I don't know. And so I, I am curious how you think about all of that. I know it's kind of a very loaded question, maybe less of a takeaway, but yeah, it's just an observation for me. Um, I'm an eternal optimist, almost to a fault, right? So I'm incredibly <laughs> optimistic about the United States in general. And I think that the, I think that the pendulum always swings, right? I was, I'm a lover of history and was a history major. And I, I, know, I know you like history as well. And the pendulum always swings, right? And, and if you look back at newspaper clippings from basically any decade in US history, it seems like the world could be ending, right? In the 60s, you have all the riots and you, you, know, you start mm-hmm. having Vietnam War and it, you, know, world, you have multiple world wars between 1900 and 1950. And you, know, you have oil. Although like, I will say there is also this notion that empires fall every 100 years or so. So, so that, so that, so that was the next one I was going to get to is that every hundred years, every hundred years, there's a new global currency and that's for the last 600 years, going back to what, 1400 or 1500, mm-hmm. whether it's Portugal or, or Britain or the United States, or there's, there's a couple in between now that I forget. I think Spain, maybe, um, every hundred mm-hmm. years, there's kind of a new global reserve currency and we are at the end of the hundred years, right? So then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, what, what's the other like country that could have the, the global reserve currency? China? I'm not no. I'm not moving to China. Right. Then it makes nope. you think, okay, global reserve currency aside, well, what's the what's the better country in the world? Where where else would I move? I mean, now yeah, if I was retired and like not building blockworks, maybe I moved to like Tuscany in the hills of Italy or something. <laughs> yeah, it sounds pretty lovely. Uh, but I'm trying to build a business and like build yeah. build wealth and build a really impactful company. And there's no better place in the world to do that still today than the United States. I like yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I disagree with that. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just on the margin. You do feel the, you do feel the rate of change. You do um, quite quite a bit. Um, yeah. Um, on the way to the airport, I was thinking of like, what are the things that I, I mean, cut you off? But it was like, and, and stop me from getting off track. But it was like the question, like that I thought about and I heard it was like, what are the things that are like our future generations, like kids and their kids, are going to look back and say, God, why were you guys doing that? Like so stupid, and the first thing that came to mind to me was um, petrol stations, hmm, yeah, uh, and 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 downtown, like how we think about traffic, like streets, the size of streets, traffic itself probably goes away when you're automated, right? A lot of the traffic jams are just human error, um, and then the rezoning of said downtowns is probably going to change more commercial real estate crisis or whatnot, but like rezoning and whatnot. Uh, there's so many that I've thought about. Like I've thought about this question for a long time. Uh, obviously, the natural one is. Why don't we have a non-sovereign, independent, neutral kind of unit of account and transfer of value, i.e. Ethereum or Bitcoin, that is outside the purview of central bank policies that affect certain countries? Um, but, but yeah, no, it was just uh, something that I was thinking on the flight back. <laughs> so, I mean, that could be a whole episode, right? That, 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 mm-hmm. we, we can save that for another episode. We, we have, but, but yeah, I know. Driving your own car definitely will be one, right? Shopping yeah, at physical yeah. stores will be one. Uh, the idea of using a smartphone, this big clunky thing, it's going to just be embedded inside of you. Yeah. Uh, eating real meat, and unless you're like hyper wealthy. Like, like, do you think we'll still eat meat, but it would just be lab grown? Yeah. Yeah. 
I do. Yeah. Or it will just be like no meat. It'll be, like it'll be lab, lab grown will, will replace yeah, traditional yeah. farming, right? Separated yeah. devices, this idea of having a smartphone, a laptop, a right. tablet right. instead of one single integrated multi-purpose device that is more inside of you than outside of you. Yeah. Like, like even like a paper passport, you know, it's like, come on guys, like scam. Pri- I mean, unfortunately with all of this, the privacy, as we know, it goes away. Well, biometrics, yeah, surveillances, yeah. analytics, the no, no concept of privacy by the year. Now on the topic of conferences. Are we going to be in a virtual world with uh, Apple's thing and not be going to permissionless in so real let me life? Pump my, let me what pump my own life? bag for a second, which is the <laughs> more that we move online, the more powerful conferences become because the yeah. less you it, see it, your friends, it, the less you go out yeah. to dinners, the less you meet Absolutely. in person. For you meeting. crave more of that. You crave the once a like year, real, like, once every six yeah, months yeah. in person. I mean, the, the, the watch industry went through this kind of uh, uh, pronostication. A lot of people saying it's the death of the, the luxury watch industry because the Apple watch does everything no, and more. And then boom, I mean, it's just gone through a huge, huge renewed interest in, in vintage watches. I am extremely bullish as well on luxury physical items, actually. Yeah. If you look at the two richest people in the world, right? Bernard Arnault mm-hmm. runs a luxury house and Elon Musk builds luxury physical items with, yeah. with Teslas. Um, I think that I think people will demand more and more luxury physical items. Yeah. So I mean, anyway, not well, to get too off topic from permissionless yeah, humans, the recap. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this. I, th- I think this has been a great recap. I don't know if there's anything else. Uh, my, th- those were pretty much my takeaways. Obviously, you stole two, which is kind of like meh. So I, I, I did my homework. To be fair, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Um, no, that's it. Our next event is uh, so next permissionless is going to be in Salt Lake City in October in 2024. We also nice. have a digital asset summit. And well, I don't think I'm supposed to say where yet. We're we're making an announcement this week. So. Is, it, is it is it on uh, in Europe? Uh you'll see. You'll see. I mean, what continent is this in Antarctica? Like, come on, like, give me some breadcrumbs. Here. I mean, I'll tell it on the pod. It's going to be in London. Ah. But I'm pretty sure it's both. I'm pretty sure we're making a big announcement, and I'm going to totally ruin uh, okay, our okay. announcement. So I'm just saying. I usually I, I've been vocal about saying I'm only going to go one conference a year, but if it's in London, I'll be here. I had a great time. It's going to be a great time in March. I mean, I am like, like I honestly like someone like, like, like I can't like, describe to you how mad our marketing team is. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's fine. That's fine. It's my, you can blame it on me. But like, listen, like I hadn't seen like someone like Ben from Parify. Like, you know, we spent so much time together. But like the last time we saw each other was like when I we were getting started. We've gone this office in San Francisco, and literally, I went three times to the office, and then everyone else is like COVID hit, and then we were all remote. And that was the last time I saw Ben, like three years ago. We went through like DeFi summer and all, and then and then you, you know, here's something like, crazy. That was the first time I've ever met Ben. I've talked to Ben like every really? quarter for like three. I mean, you know him way better than I do, but like lo- yeah, love yeah. Ben. Talked to him like every quarter for like four years. First time I've ever met him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you and I had met in uh, in Solana Breakpoint for like very very briefly. It was great to spend more time. Uh, and this was the first time I saw Ryan, Sean Adams. I mean, I think he's just sort of like an elusive character. He just does not go to conferences. So it was the first time I saw him. I love, I love Ryan. Uh, it was great. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. So uh, a very nice event. Uh, and most importantly, I just met people that really enjoyed the podcast. And to me, that's the most important yeah. thing. That, that was like a very wholesome experience. Like people came up to me like, hey, you know, I met your parents. Uh, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Right before the panel, it was like, "Hey, uh, someone wants to meet you." I'm like, I felt like a celebrity. I'm like, "Hey, who?" Like, oh, it's my parents. I'm like, "Oh, great." <laughs> yeah, they were, so they were, they're on shout top out to, shout out to all the parents that uh, listen to the podcast. I always tell my parents, "This is free melatonin," and I've caught my dad listening to my podcast snort deep in sleep, like snoring. <laughs> so. I think your parents are better. Than that. <laughs> no, they're, they're loving it. So, by the way, last, last shout out. I will give uh, the MVP of the event, Eric Voorhees, gave this "Why We Are Here" opener. 
that got the entire right. conference on their feed standing ovation. It's on Twitter on the permissionless account. Uh, it's pinned to the top of the permissionless account. It's got 10,000 likes, 5,000 retweets, over two and a half million views. Million so if views. you haven't seen it, definitely go watch that. Last question on that topic. Are the other videos available? They will when be. Will they? So people are going to listen to this on Tuesday. They will be okay. all available by Tuesday night. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Well, folks, um, hey, folks, as you all know, we all listen, read the comments. Um, so drop us a comment if you want us. Got great feedback from listeners at the, at the at the conference, so thank you. And I would be remiss not to say that I uh, won the bet. I had more followers than uh, Yano at the time of the conference. Took a snapshot by five hundred thousand by five hundred or what so. So it was a close call. What, what What do you get? I don't know, actually. I don't remember. We'll have to go back. There was an episode where we talked about this. So yeah, we got to uh, go back and listen. It's on you, man. Because there, there's something. I'm going to get a – I have like a, a card here that I'm going to play. Uh, I'll have to think what play, that is. Play the card. All right, man. All right. This has been a treat. Thanks so much for hosting. Had a great time at the conference. And everyone that was there or not there, uh, you know, still, thanks for listening as always. And uh, we'll be back here later this week. See you, folks. All right.